Welcome to New Freedom Church. Our mission is to be real people walking and experiencing real freedom. If you're new with us, please like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you get new content immediately when it's released. And we want to thank those of you who have shared our videos because it helps us to reach even more people with the life-changing message that there is a Savior who loves you and wants real, genuine freedom for you. And if you haven't done so already, go to newfc.org. Go to the Connect tab and share with us how we can best connect with you and your family to serve your needs. Well, good morning. I want to welcome everybody joining us in person and as well as online. My name is Joe Schutz. I serve as lead pastor here at New Freedom. And you're joining us for the final part of our series, Kingdom, uh, Praying Like Jesus. 2020 has been declared a year of prayer here at New Freedom Church. And uh, this series has been a response to the request that John the Baptist's disciples asked, they said, uh, uh, you've taught us how to pray, and we pray. And then Jesus' disciples said, well, uh, can you teach us, Jesus, how to pray like John taught his disciples? And so uh, this is a request that uh, the disciples had, and this is what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, just a couple things before we get started. Uh, if you have been uh, kind of checking us out, maybe online, or you've been uh, new around here for a little while, there's a way that you can get connected to us a little bit uh, closer or learn a little bit more about New Freedom Church. It's called Direction Connection Path, or DCP. You can visit the um, information desk out at the lobby and find out more information about that. There's a, a class starting next Sunday, and it's going to run for a couple of weeks, and you can uh, certainly sign up to get involved in that. The other thing is that today is our final day of the 21 days of fall prayer that we have been embarked on over the last uh, few weeks, but certainly it is not going to be the end of prayer. How many realize we still need to keep pressing in prayer, right? Amen, especially over the next uh, week plus uh, for our nation. We need to just continue to seek God's face and ask him to, to guide our leaders and to uh, certainly guide the, the people of this country because as goes America, so goes the world. And so we want uh, God's will to be done, and we need to keep praying as a, a people. Uh, this prayer is the model prayer that we've been looking at over the, the last few weeks, and I will say that the portion of it that I'm going to share with you today is probably especially if I look at personally, it's probably the most difficult part of this entire prayer. This could be perhaps the most challenging portion of the scripture that we see in the model prayer. Many of you have learned this as the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's really the prayer for the disciples. And so we're going to call it the model prayer this morning. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13, then I'm going to circle back to verse 12. But this is... Jesus' expression of how that we are to pray to his disciples and then by extension, how we are to pray. And here it is. It says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. All God's people said, amen. amen. Let's circle back to verse 12 there. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now let's just take a minute here, and it's just us in the room. Let's make this personal. Let's say it like this. Forgive me. Say, forgive me, I'm an audience participation preacher. Listen, if you amen me a little bit, it'll probably go a little faster. So, so, so let's participate. Forgive me my debt as I forgive those indebted to me. So let's make this personal when we look at this portion of the prayer today. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about 
unforgiveness. But, you know, this is a tricky statement of Jesus. Jesus has several tricky statements. If you, if you read through the scriptures, there are some of these places in scripture where you read it and you say, yeah, maybe another day, but not today. I'm not feeling that one today. Jesus says another tricky statement like this. He says, do unto others as they've already done to you. No, that's not what he said. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a tricky statement, isn't it? That means that you are putting yourself out there on the limb before that they have ever done you right. You are going to preemptively do them right. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Not how they have done, not how you anticipate because you've heard about their reputation, although you've never encountered them. As soon as you do, you know good and well how they vote. You know where they come from. You know because of what you've heard what kind of people they are. So you're going to preemptively make sure that you protect yourself, right? No, that's not what Jesus said. He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Tricky statement. Forgive us our debt as we forgive others. I think about it in this, in this frame of reference. When I stand before God to ask for this entire model prayer, the daily bread we talked about last week, we talked about God being our father, we talked about his great provision, but when we stand in the place of, of, of before God in prayer, God, forgive me in the same manner, to the same extent and to the same degree that I have forgiven others. Is that really the way we pray? That's tough, isn't it? But I think that's what this prayer is all about. Forgive me as I, or in the same way as I have and am forgiving others. Tricky statement of Jesus here. But this is exactly what he's asking us to do. Nelson Mandela famously said these words, not forgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. How many ever heard that before? How many thought Winston Churchill said it? If I don't know who said something, I usually attribute it to Winston Churchill. But I had time to look it up this week, and Nelson Mandela, who was, it was a, a, in prison for decades for apartheid in South Africa, later come out of that prison and became the president of the entire country. But he had the presence of mind to realize that he could not live his fullest and his best life. He could not fulfill the purpose and the function God had for him if he was to hold on to the bitterness that threw him in to prison wrongfully and oppressed him and talked bad about him. No good social media about him, no good media anywhere about him. Yet he had the presence of mind to say, if you hold on to unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and hoping that the person who wronged you dies as a result. And I got to thinking, who would ever do such a thing? Why would we do that? We wouldn't do that, really, would we? I mean, what we want to do is we want to take a good drink of this wonderful Lebanon tap water right here. This is the container of our life. We want this kind of viewpoint for others to have of us. This is a refreshing glass of water. And I could take a drink, mm, and it fulfills and it quenches a thirst. This is how most of us want to look when it comes to forgiveness. We want this to be how God has forgiven us, and we are free of pollutants, and we want this to be how others see us in dealing with our relationships here on earth. You know, there's a direct correlation between our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with man. That's why the cross goes in two directions. You first make peace with God, then you can make peace with man. If you're trying to make peace with other people horizontally, you've never made peace with God, it's going to fail every single time. It may have some short extent of some success, but it'll never have full success. And I got to think about who would ever willingly 
pollute themselves and drink a piece, uh, drink a glass of poison like Mandela said there. But unawares to us, many times this is exactly what we do, is we drink this kind of stuff into us. I, I take something like this, a uh, little bit of, of peroxide. It looks about like water. Peroxide is like getting, have you ever been slighted? Have you ever uh, been overlooked? Maybe there was a promotion that you wanted, but you were overlooked for that promotion. Maybe you didn't get invited to the popular crowd's party. Maybe you were left out. And it's just a little slight, but it's kind of like there's a little bit of peroxide in your life. Or how about something like this rubbing alcohol? You know, have you ever been insulted? How about being the, the, the butt of a joke? You know, someone says, I was just joking. But still, it's kind of like, it pours into your heart a little bit. It pours into your soul. It doesn't feel good when you are the cause of someone's enjoyment for making fun. And it's just a little joke, but still it just kind of rubs you wrong. It's rubbing you the wrong way. It just kind of settles in your heart and in your soul. But then there are those things in life that they're, they're like this. They're kind of like this bottle of Clorox right here because they are hard, cold offenses they cause you to really feel this grudge on the inside of you. Don't worry, that's not ammonia, so you're okay. Check this out pre-service. But these kinds of offenses begin to gather in our soul, and at first glance, it kind of looks the same. In fact, I can even take a whole lot of good works and good deeds and good things that I've done. I can attend church. I can do all kinds of things to water down the rub in my life, the offense, the thing that has lodged in there that I have told people I've forgotten about it, but really, truly, when I go to bed at night, I still think about it. And on the surface, these look pretty much the same, little cloudy, but I'm okay. I have sanitized my life from all of the things that have hurt me, but like that bleach, it settles in there, and sometimes it can be as strong as a betrayal. Someone that just absolutely walked out on you. Someone that stabbed you in the back and you have never forgotten. And what happens is that you get a little bit salty. You get a little bit sharp. You find yourself being just a little bit rough around the edges with people because all of these things have been contaminants in your life. Now, we think we're doing fine. We think that on the outside, it's starting to cloud up, but it'll clear. That's okay. But really what happens is... Every one of those things are hard places in our life. Every one of those things become a contaminant, and we start looking like this. Unforgiveness, grudges, fault-finding, cynicism, always looking at what is wrong with our world. And this is what we start to look like in the spiritual realm when we allow unforgiveness and bitterness to settle in. This prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray, this is interesting. This is the only prayer that I find in scripture. Maybe you can check me out and find something different. It's the only prayer that I find that we are asked to pray on a continual basis like daily. Daily bread, daily forgiveness, daily provision, daily that his kingdom would come, daily that God would be recognized and acknowledged as our father, daily that God would have the glory and the power. And it wouldn't just be this day, but it would be forever and forever. Amen. So I want to kind of develop this. How do you know when you have truly forgiven? I want to talk about this this morning. How 
to know when you have truly and totally forgiven someone. There is a way to know, and I find it in Genesis chapter 45. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 45, I want to share for the next few moments about my favorite Bible character. Of the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there's a man named, anybody know his name? Joseph. He's my favorite. And he was his father's favorite. Joseph was so honored and so favored by his father that he made him a coat. Does anybody know what color it was? What color was it? That's right. We've got some Bible scholars in here. It wasn't just one color. His dad loved him so much, he made a coat of many colors. And Joseph was a dreamer. You know what, Joseph, he would go to bed at night. He was the, the youngest of all of his brothers. And, you know, they kind of had the strength and they had the muscle and they had the position. But Joseph had the dreams. And so he went to bed one night and he dreamed. And he was so excited to go and show his brothers his coat, which his dad blessed him with. They didn't have a coat. Dad didn't bless them with a coat. They didn't get a dream. They didn't get to stay at home while Joseph had to go and work. But he was so excited he ran out to tell his dream and you know you should do that every single time you get a dream you should just go run and tell as many people right bad don't do that he went and he told his brothers and he said I saw these she's and and they were standing but all of a sudden they bowed and they bowed right before me and I saw in the skies all of these great wonders and he starts talking about all these dreams but at the center of every dream he was the one exalted and his brothers were the ones that were disposed And he thought that this would be good to share with them. Joseph had a lot of things. He didn't have wisdom. Not at this age. He shouldn't have shared that. He already was being despised by his brothers because dad favored him so much. And so we find that the story picks up that Joseph's brothers concoct a plan. First, they were just going to kill him. They said, you know what? We're going to eliminate our competition. And that's, that's the human part of us. There is something on the inside of all of us that at one time or another, if you're really honest, you just want to do away with your competition. But they decided, you know what? He is blood. Dad does love him a lot. The, the little lad hasn't done anything yet to us. But it's, instead of uh, killing him, let's just pry from him. Let's just sell him to the Egyptians. They're going to be coming by here soon. Let's put him down in this pit. We'll sell him to the Egyptians. Well, then another brother said, but what are we going to tell dad? And they said, well, I tell you what, let's grab his coat of many colors first. You know, that thing that dad gave him, that, that blessed coat. And let's go dip it in some, some blood from an animal. And we'll go and we'll tell our dad that we don't know what happened to Joseph, but he died and here is his coat. And this is the only thing that's left. And that's what they did. They concocted this plan. They put him in a pit. They sold him for profit. And for the next 14 years, they didn't see their brother. We're going to pick up the narrative here in just a minute of them encountering their brother when he reveals himself to them. But a lot of things happen in Joseph's life in 14 years. Most of that time he spent in prison for crimes he didn't commit. He was wrongfully accused. He had times of of great blessing and favor, and then he would find himself right back down in the pit. He would get exalted to the palace, and he would go back into the pit. And this seemed to be the roller coaster ride of Joseph. Have you you ever felt like you've kind of been on a roller coaster ride in life? How many say, yeah, right now I'm like going downhill at 65 miles an hour, and I'm screaming. I don't even know if this thing's going to go back up yet. But this is the life of Joseph. And finally, we get to the place where he is second in charge of all of Egypt, There has been a famine in the land, which Joseph prophesied there would be. He said, first, there'd be seven years of plenty. Save up for those years. There's a good lesson in that about how that we should store up and make sure that we have provision for a rainy day or a time of extended drought in our land. And and I I believe that uh, if 2020 hasn't taught us anything, it's that Americans for the first time have been able to go and see that the shelves aren't always just full. 
that there's not plenty of provision just every single day that you can just go and, and get what you want. We've had to uh, encounter a little bit of lack. Some scarcity mentality has entered in. And so we've had to try to maybe prepare ourselves. And Joseph prophesied that. But now we find ourselves in the story where there's seven years of famine. There's no bread in the land. There's no meat to eat. But Egypt somehow saved enough that they had food. And so Joseph's brothers were sent out by his dad and his dad said, go to Egypt and plead and beg with them. We're going to die out here if we don't get some food. And so they bowed their heads and they went to Egypt, not knowing what they were going to encounter. Remember, they thought their brother had long been dead. If, if the Egyptians hadn't killed him in slavery, he probably would have died in prison. They didn't know that their brother was still alive. Verse uh, one of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph, sent, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not, therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me there for God. Everybody say, for God. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. This is how we can know when we truly have forgiven. There are a few lessons that I want to chronicle here about the story of Joseph. And the first one is that Joseph emptied the room. This is very important in this story. You have to understand that Joseph being second in charge had all of these armed guards. He had an entourage of people that at any beckoning moment he could just call upon them to do something and they would surely and swiftly carry out every one of his commands. Joseph was so honored and so high esteemed in Egypt that anything that he said would have gone except for any word he gave against Pharaoh. So he was a man of high esteem, but he wanted, before he revealed himself, he wanted to clear the room. In other words, Joseph did not want all of those bystanders to know what his brothers had done. He did not want to taint their view of the brothers because Joseph was not interested in retaliation. Joseph was looking for reconciliation. And when we go before God to ask for our sins to be forgiven, God is not interested in bopping us over the head. He's not interested in retaliation. He is interested in reconciliation. And here's where Joseph clears the room. How do you and I clear the room? Well, it's very simple. We stop rehearsing all of the hurts that have been inflicted upon us. We stop gathering alliances and allies to hear our pity story. We stop uh, gathering people around us that will surely agree with us so that we can tell and retell and relive again and again and again all of the hurts and all of the pains. We can fill the room with all of the sympathizers of those that would come to our aid and our rescue. No, we empty the room when we deny people from knowing what someone has done to us. And just because something is true doesn't mean it needs to be repeated. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what they've done. I've got hard, cold facts of how they wronged me. Well, you can share hard, cold facts 
with a little piece here and a little piece there of something that's true, but it doesn't make up the truth because there's probably in just about every case of offense when it comes to a relationship, a part that I play and a part that you play. There usually is some kind of a dance that happened. Now, we're going to get into in a minute how that sometimes it's no fault of your own and that still happens as well. But we clear the room when we stop rehearsing and we stop reliving all of the things that someone has done. We quit talking about it. Recently, a a major uh, Christian writer and and book author uh, tells of the story of of the breakup of her marriage. And this was uh, really positioned, this just happened a few years ago, it was really positioned to probably take her out of ministry. Uh, She had had written many best-selling books. She was speaking at conferences all around the world. And little did she know that her life was about to encounter one of the biggest and deepest hurts is that her husband had an affair on her. And during that process of time, she was interviewed and asked many times about her marriage and and if she would want to tell what was happening. And and while she did finally have to come to uh, the, the public and tell that her husband had been unfaithful, she refused to give any of the details or the tidbits about what had happened. Any of the sordid details were, were left out. And she did that, I, I believe, very difficult in her heart to do because who of us do not want our story to be heard? Like we want our side of it to be known. We want people to know who was in the right, who was in the wrong. But she refused to engage in that kind of, of discussion because all the while, even though that her marriage ended in divorce over that indiscretion, she and her husband, ex-husband, be, began counseling. And today, I can report to you, and I won't tell you her name, you can probably figure it out, but she, she is uh, now happily remarried to her husband. They are reconciled, and their marriage is going strong, and they're both in ministry today. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? that that's a good place. Now, had she been interested in retaliation, she could have filled the room. She could have had way more allies on her side than him. He was in the wrong after all. But she refused to fill the room. She emptied the room, like Joseph emptied the room, so that God could do his perfect work and reconciliation could be a result. And here, here's why I'll also say that it's, it's really unfruitful to continue to talk about and to rehearse what someone has done to you because most of the time, please hear me, most of the time, those who have done us wrong, they don't even realize to the extent at which they've wounded us. Over a decade ago, I had a a guy call me out of the blue, and I knew that there was a little rift between us. I knew that there was some some rub there, uh, and and he asked me to go to lunch. And and so I I willingly agreed, yes, let's go to lunch. Let's have lunch. What is this all going to be about? This is interesting. And we haven't talked for a couple of years. And he looks across the table, and he boldly declares to me, I had to have lunch with you. It's been on my heart because I need to tell you, I forgive you. And I shook my head, and I said, thank you. Thank you. We ate our meal. I left there. And, and, and really, you know, the flesh in me, the, the, the carnal mind was like, what does he forgive me for? I should have to forgive him. What do you mean I forgive you? Well, thanks. I never asked for your forgiveness. But I knew in my heart of hearts, the spirit of, of Christ spoke up on the inside of me as I'm driving away, that you needed to have that lunch more for him than you did for you. He needed to be able to say that. So you know, I, I preface to say, uh, don't ever just announce something like that because most of the time people whom have wronged you don't even realize what they have done. Now, Joseph's brothers, if we get back to the text, Joseph's brothers knew they had definitely done him wrong. But how do we know when we truly and totally have forgiven? Point number two is that you remove the intimidation and the fear factor. 
There's always this uh, element of being able to intimidate or to manipulate a environment to our own good. And Joseph, if anybody could have been in the place of, of having the upper hand, Joseph certainly had the upper hand. He could have let at least a couple of the big, strong, burly guards, you know, the ones with the, 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 the axe and the pointed spear. I'm thinking about Egypt, you know, I'm thinking they probably had some real strong guards. He could have said, everybody out of the room, except for you and you, stay right here. And now he's going to reveal himself to his brothers and say, let me hear you beg. <laughs> let, me, let me see you squeal a little bit. Let me, let me see you squirm because these big dudes over here will take you out if you don't say you're sorry. No, he let everybody leave the room. He didn't want fear or intimidation to allow him to manipulate the circumstances to get a false confession or a false apology from them. Sometimes all we're after is just to know that someone is, that, that, they, that they've heard, that they're sorry for what they've done. They may not be sorry for what they've done. You're going to find out here in a moment about Joseph's brothers that they still had a hardness in their heart. There wasn't this true contrition yet that it entered in. They still had this, this element of, of trying to, to to get away, but here's what Joseph says. He says, come near to me. He's taken away the fear that he's going to retaliate by saying, come near. He wouldn't tell them in an empty room, come near, if he didn't at least lower his defenses and allow them to enter into his presence and allow them to enter in without fear. And the next thing is that it, he was gone with guilt. I love this about Joseph, is that he made clear that what they did was not right. Look, look what he says. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You don't have to forget that there was pain in the affliction. You don't have to forget that. And likely you never will forget that. Your ability to remember something that is painful is actually a blessing from God. How many of you, when you were a child, or maybe raising your kids, you, you were a child, and you, you were told, don't touch that hot stove, don't touch that hot stove, and with a little smile, that three-year-old reaches their hand up there because they know better, they want to experience, and they touch that hot stove. Well, it's probably the last time that they'll touch that hot stove because they remember the pain and the affliction of the burn, and they won't do it again. It's a blessing of God that you remember, but that's why we have scars. Scars no longer hurt. They're just a reminder that something was wrong, that something hurt us, and we don't want to repeat that again, and here's what Joseph said. I'm your brother, the one you sold in Egypt. That's right. I have forgot about that, but I am not going to keep holding it against your account. I am going to be gone with the guilt of it because God has put me here for a reason. Whom you sold into Egypt, he had forgiven, but he hadn't forgotten. And just because you can't forget doesn't mean you haven't forgot, for, forgiven. You can still forgive and remember that you don't ever want to repeat that mistake, that you don't ever want to, to uh, uh, enter back into a closeness maybe with an environment that was so toxic. You don't have to want to go back to that, but you can still certainly forgive. The next thing is that he let them save face. They save face. Now, this is a, a rare commodity in our culture because we live in a gotcha culture. We live in a, a proof text and a, a, a fact check culture all of the time. Someone trying to watch somebody else trip up and when, as soon as you trip up, they pounce. We don't allow anybody to save face. But that's exactly what Joseph did here. The Bible tells us that love will cover a multitude of sins. 
And just because you are giving someone the opportunity to save face doesn't mean that they're right and you're wrong. It means that you're gracious enough that you're willing to look bad for a moment so that they can turn around and see and know that there is forgiveness offered. It allows them the opportunity maybe to make the right decision the next time because you've been gracious with them this time. I was reading about a, a, a young preteen that was getting ready to enter into middle school. His name is Nathan. And he had gone to the same school the entire uh, career of his, his education at this point. And he had this problem that when he would get nervous, when he would panic, he would uh, lose control of his bowels to the point where he would just pee himself. He would just urinate all, all right down his front. Now he's, he's preteen. He's getting ready to go into middle school. And this is pretty embarrassing kind of a set of circumstances. And Nathan finds himself on the first day of middle school, rounding the corner, coming into the cafeteria and realizes immediately, oh no, there are no free tables, there's nowhere to sit, and panic set in. And about that time, he started urinating all down his front. Well, Cindy, who had also been going to school with him the entire time, had already caught on to Nathan's problem. She ran quickly and she took her entire glass of water and she threw it right on the front of Nathan, acting as though that she had tripped. While everybody was laughing at Cindy for her clumsy accident and saying, that's so silly, why did you do that to Nathan? She allowed him to save face. And sometimes we will be put in a position where we could certainly laugh and we could mock and we could ridicule, but the Spirit of Christ on the inside rises up and says, why don't you stand in front of that speeding train? Why don't you take that glass of water? Why don't you take that ridicule? Because you don't know, they may not be able to take one more joke. There may not be one more pebble that can go into their glass. They may be at the point of overflowing and you need to allow them to save face. Joseph's brothers were racked with guilt. Can you imagine how many nights that they would have gone to bed hearing their father weeping in the tent beside them with a coat of many colors that had blood from an animal, thinking it was the blood of his son, in their, in their heart of hearts knowing that we could go tell dad, perhaps Joseph is still alive. We could go tell, but if we told him, then we would be outed. What would happen to us? Would he disown us? Would, would, would he punish us? Would there be retaliation? And so they wouldn't want to reveal their secret to their dad. So guilt, day after day of guilt of what they've done was compounding down on their shoulders, guilt after guilt. And here's what Joseph does is he commits to kindness. You know you have truly forgiven when you can commit to kindness. Joseph re- refused to retaliate because he didn't want to get even. He wasn't after a pound of flesh. He wasn't out for blood. He wanted to reconcile. He wanted to restore the relationship. Many times, our heart is not inclined to want that kind of restoration. Many times what we want is we want them to feel the pain that they've inflicted upon us. We want them to feel just an ounce of the problem that we've had. We want to get even. And I think of that little game on the playground at school, teeter-totter. Anybody ever play teeter-totter? You know, when you're up, the other person's down. When you're down, you're looking up. The other person's up. And we find ourselves many times with those who have hurt us, like Joseph and his brothers. We find ourselves in this relationship between someone being up and someone being down, someone having the upper hand and someone always underneath. And yet we want this and we desire this this getting even. And we think if I can just get even, if I can just make them feel what I felt, if they can just go through a hard time, if I can just get even, can I tell you what getting even does? 
If you could ever truly even out a teeter-totter, it's really hard to do, but if you could ever truly get the weight balance and counterbalance exactly the same, getting even puts you exactly on the same level as the person who hurt you. Is that really what you want? It's not, is it? Joseph excelled so far higher by letting them off the hook. And this is not something that we do one time and say, okay, there it is, I forgave them. No, this is something you have to recommit to every single day. This is something that, that you, can, you can forgive last week or you can forgive today because you heard a really good message. You can go out of here looking like this and it feels really good. And then three weeks from now, you can get on social media, you can see someone at the grocery store and all of a sudden you start feeling like this because the contaminants come back. That, that pain comes back and you have to recommit time and time again. And here's another thing I'll tell you. If you live long enough, those people that hurt you, you may have an opportunity to be put in a position to show them kindness and they don't even know it. What are you going to do? You may be called upon to give a reference for that person. You may be called upon to speak kindly to them about them in the ears of someone else and you have a choice to make. Are you going to take the little snapshot of the hurt and the affliction or are you going to look at the presence of the character of their life? Are you going to try to look at the heart? Are you going to try to look back? Listen, people who are outside of our circle of influence very seldom can ever hurt us. I mean, somebody sent me a nasty email because they came to church one time. I read it. I'll try to respond to them. I'll say, I'm sorry you feel like that. But it really doesn't get, lose me any sleep at night. But now when one of you who have been around here for a while have a criticism or have a beef or have a problem, I can't sleep. I want to make it right. I want to have a coffee meeting. We're going to sit down and talk about it. We're going to pray together. We're going to get in the altar. I can't let it rest. And that is the kind of long suffering that God has. He wants that for us and with us and through us. And so we want to look at the track record. We want to look at the long run. We have to recommit to this time and time again. I want to uh, back up just a little bit into Joseph's life because he had the same kind of encounter earlier in his life. Before this moment with his brothers, he was once again in prison. And he found himself again dreaming and giving the right answer to a dream and asking someone, hey, when you tell the Pharaoh the dream that I had, will you remember me and will you get me out of this prison? This is the story, how it goes. Genesis 40 and 14, here's what Joseph says, but remember me when it's well with you. Right now it's not good with you, but when things start turning good for you, remember who helped you out. Here's what he's saying. And please show kindness to me. That's all Joseph wanted was a little bit of kindness. Isn't that what you want is a little bit of kindness. It makes the world go round. He says, make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Get me out of this prison. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that should have put me in this dungeon. And he was right. I said earlier, many times... There's a, a dance, it takes two to dance. Many times we have done something to get us into the conflict, but in Joseph's case, he was right. He had done nothing other than not being very wise and sharing his dream, but he was young, Y&D, young and dumb, right? He was dumb, young. He'd done nothing to deserve what his brothers had done to him. And he was just asking for a little bit of kindness because something had been stolen. And you know what's hard to give forgiveness for is when something truly has been stolen from you. And many of you have had some things stolen from you. And it's one thing if, if you have a material possession stolen, you can go replace that. But how about your credibility? How about your character? 
How about your testimony? When that gets stolen from you, it's hard to put that back. It's hard ever to replace that. In Joseph, in this moment, in Genesis 40, he's having a little pity party. Now, I know Pastor Joe's not the only one that's ever had a pity party in this room, but I can give myself a good pity party. I can put on the right tune. I can get all down in the molly grubs. I guess that's something in Kentucky. I've heard it before. You can get all sad and sullen. You can get to the place where you're just really looking for someone to encourage you. You're throwing yourself a pity party. That's what Joseph was doing. But every single day, we have to choose to forgive. It's not a one and done. It is a daily decision. I told you this prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a daily prayer. Just like you need daily bread, daily provision from God, you need daily forgiveness. Here's the last one. Is pray, and not just any kind of prayer, but there is a very specific kind of prayer. You know that you have totally forgiven when you can do this. Pray for blessings. Pray for blessings. Now, if some of you pray the way I pray, here's been some of my prayers in the past, like last week. See, we want to talk about the past, like I want to tell you everything I did when I was 15. No, the preacher at 41 still feels some of these prayers rising up on the inside of him, okay? Let's get real. We're real people, right? If we want real freedom, we got to be honest, okay? Here's some of my prayers. God, go get them, sick them, Holy Spirit, take care of them, chase them down, make them feel bad, and make sure that they get two doses for every dose they gave me. That's sometimes the prayer that I pray. I know none of you pray that way because you've been, you've been sitting under this teaching, anointed teaching for years, so you, you all got it good. But listen, this is easy preaching. It's hard living. You've got to walk this stuff out. But when you can get to the place to truly pray for blessings upon those who have wronged you. Now, you've forgiven. You haven't forgotten, but you've forgiven. I'm gonna pray for blessings. I'm gonna pray for increase. I'm gonna pray that they get so blessed in their new career. I'm gonna pray they get so blessed in their new life, so blessed in their new friendships, so blessed in their new marriage, that they forget all the things that that they've had against me so that they no longer have to snipe and knit and pick and do all those things. But I pray for blessings generational blessings. God, get them blessed really, really good. Matthew 5 and 43, these are Jesus' words. You have heard it said. Where where have we heard it said? When Jesus says you've heard it said, he's talking about, okay, we've got two testaments. We have an Old Testament and a New Testament. We have to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. There are some things from this Old Testament that we no longer have to abide by, like the the ceremonial laws of of Israel, we no longer abide by that. The dietary restrictions, we no longer abide by that. The the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we don't abide by that. But there are so many things that our tutor, this Old Testament, taught us and brought us to Christ that still absolutely apply. And so when Jesus is is referring to, you have heard it said, he's talking about the Old Testament. And here's what he said. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's old law. You do good to me, I'll do good to you. You hate me, I'll hate you. And probably add a little bit of measure onto it. Right? That's old law. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to want to go out to dinner with the people that vote like you. It's easy to go and, and, and go to a conference of the people who believe like you. But if that's all you do, it's pretty shallow, isn't it? 
And, and besides, how can you ever be salt and light to somebody who's not like you that maybe perhaps by your testimony you'll persuade them to see things a little bit differently if you're never in fellowship with them? But Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your, enemy, hate, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, <laughs> this is a new commandment, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, that's hard, and do good to those who hate you and pray. For those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You mean I've got to pray blessing upon those people who spitefully use me? That are tarnishing my name and my character and trying to take down my income and and throwing stones at my house and being mean to my kids? Jesus said, you've got to pray for them. You've got to love them. Aren't these some tricky statements of Jesus? It's tough. But here's the result. After we have done these things and we truly can cycle through and forgive, totally forgive, then we can get to the place where Joseph got to in Egypt. After all the turmoil, all the struggle of his life, it comes down to this one thing. It comes down to these two sons that were born of him in Egypt. He was blessed with two boys in Egypt. It says that Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all the toil of my father's house. And the second son, Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He was afflicted in Egypt, and yet God allowed him to be fruitful there. He was sold into slavery from his father's house. He was in prison, wrongfully accused, and yet God had allowed him to forget all the toil, all the, the, the sleepless nights, all of the rage. God had for, given him ability to forget all of that through Manasseh, his son. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, a name, when you would name someone, it was a fulfillment of, of what they were supposed to become. It was a prophecy of their life. Joseph's name means the Lord will add, and certainly God added so many things to his life, giving him dreams and and wisdom to store up. But when he had his son Manasseh, he said, God has turned the bitter into sweet. God has allowed me to forget all the turmoil and all of the bad of my father's house, and I now have this. And then he said, the second boy of mine, the second son, Ephraim, God has let me be fruitful. God has given me such blessing that why would I ever want to live drinking this water when I can live having this? God has blessed me. And I'm gonna tell you this, you will never be able to be fruitful in your life if you're harboring unforgiveness. If you're holding a grudge today, you'll never be fruitful. You may look successful on the outside, You can still have great inheritance. You can still have wonderful position and job in the community. But you know what? You will never truly be fruitful the way that God wants you to be fruitful when you harbor unforgiveness and bitterness and strife. Heads bowed and no one looking around, just between you and God. I want to pray for two distinct prayers today. This first prayer I want to pray is for those that need to receive forgiveness. I'm not talking about someone needs to forgive you, but I'm talking about you as the, the, the prayer said, forgive us, forgive me my debt as I forgive my debtors. You need first that individual forgiveness. And that comes only through the gift of God's son, Jesus. 
Jesus went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died. He rose again on the third day. He became sin for us, him who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. If you need forgiveness from God today, today is your day to say yes to Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity when we pray. And then the second one is I'm going to pray for those who need to grant release to someone else. You need to totally forgive someone. You need to grant forgiveness today. Those are the two prayers I'm going to pray. The first one, let's pray. This is for you. You're watching us online. You're here in person and you need forgiveness with God. Here's your prayer today. Say this with me. Dear God, I repent. I repent of my sin before you. I come to you just like I am a sinner. I need a savior. Save me now. Give me a new heart, a new life. I want to be that new creation in Christ Jesus. I am forgiven today. Amen. And hear that next prayer. Someone needs to pray this. Dear God, I forgive, and you fill in the blank. You say the name. You, you say the situation. Maybe it's happened a week ago. It could have happened years ago. I forgive that coworker who lied on me. I forgive, Lord, that friend who betrayed me. I forgive that spouse who left me. I forgive that person who lied on me. I forgive that road rage driver that ran me off the road. I forgive that person who took my hope. I forgive that situation who robbed me of my health. I forgive that doctor who had malpractice. I forgive that attorney, that judge, that legal system who incarcerated me. I forgive that church leader who hurt me and wronged me. I forgive that abuser who took advantage of me. God, I forgive myself for harboring unforgiveness and resentment. This is going to be a hard one for some, but God, I forgive you. God, I forgive you for allowing things to come into my life that I couldn't understand, that I still don't understand, but I forgive. I release and I let it go free in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. I just can't wait for next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you for sharing on social media and please subscribe. And if this message has impacted you in any way, would you just write a rating or review for us so we can reach even more people with this message? Your generosity really does make a difference. So to give, please go to newfc.org and click on the giving tab or click on the link in the video description. We love you. We'll see you real soon.